0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. It's Thanksgiving, so we're talking turkey with sweet potato casserole, stuffing, cranberry sauce, and pecan pie. But we're also discovering some surprising truths about this holiday.
0: As it turns out, roasted turkeys are actually nowhere near the original Thanksgiving tables. In fact, most of the foods we eat for Thanksgiving today weren't eaten in Plymouth.
2: And you know, a lot of the dishes came about, well, because of the products that were on the shelves and the marketing that
3: told us this is the product we should use.
1: Every once in a while, though, the consumer creates the food trend. Care to top the turducken, anyone?
3: Uh, I've got to give credit to this fellow that said this is the best pile of meat I've ever had and then said, what if you added bacon?
1: Tune in to this week's Meat and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com.
4: And welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Elena Santigade. Listeners, today's show is all about the best known, most beloved, and most iconic cheese in the world. I am making claims here, and I'm not shy about making them. Parmigiano Reggiano, welcome to the studio. JK, JK. I do have a human guest joining me today. And that was a little preview to let you know that we'll be talking all parm, all show today. My actual guest, Grace Singleton, is on the line from the Midwestern food mecca that is Zingerman's. Hi, Grace. Hi,
2: Elena. How are you today?
4: Good. Thanks for joining me. So, My pleasure. listeners, if you don't know Zingerman's, then you need to pause this episode right now Plan a trip to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and get ready to write me a thank you note afterwards. Please send a babka while you're at it. (laughs) Grace, I've got some Zingerman's 101 for our listeners, so I'm going to run through this, but correct me if I'm wrong on any of these details. Okay. As a Zing fan myself, I've gleaned these over the years as I follow Zingerman's in, in awe. So Zingerman's Deli was founded in 1982, also the year of my birth, which I consider a really good sign. It was founded on the desire for a delicious Reuben sandwich, essentially. Grace, is that right? That is true. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm glad that my impression is true there. So now it's a full-blown community of businesses. There's a bakehouse, a creamery, coffee company, a roadhouse restaurant, of course, the original deli with a killer sandwich menu and the best cheeses, and especially impressive this time of year, mail order. Zingerman's is owned and managed by a group of managing partners, and Grace is one such partner from the deli business. Grace, tell us how long you've worked at Zingerman's and what scene or memory or word even would you say sums up the experience you've had working there?
2: Uh, Well, I've been at Zingerman's Deli for 16 years. I started off just as a retail manager behind the cheese line. Mm -hmm. Uh, and went on the path to partnership about a year later, which means you're going to have to get approved and vetted by the rest of the partners and then pay some cash to own the business.
5: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And it's been a really great journey. You know, I have a food background, so I went to Paul Smith College for Culinary Arts, and I had a culinary degree, and I worked for some really great places. But I had always done, you know, the kitchen, I was a chef, and then I moved to the front of the house and was a dining room manager and then a general manager. Hmm. And so I thought I knew a lot about food when I came here. And I felt pretty confident in my skills. And then this one day I was sitting with Ari and we were tasting samples of cheddar to choose the one that would have our name on it. We tasted through five cheeses. Yeah. And Ari said, which one do you like? And I said, oh, I really like number two. And he goes, okay, well, I want you to taste them again. And I was like, crap, <laughs> I got it wrong. <laughs> okay. And that was like the first real opening I had to... Understanding food from the Zingerman's way. Mm. So what he talked about was like, let's talk about what cheddar should taste like. What it, where is it from? What's the style that cheese supposed to be? And taste them again because what I picked was what I personally liked, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the best representation of cheddar. So then it got me thinking and learning more about kind of the place of cheeses and the place of all the foods and what they really should be like.
4: Mm. So it really brought it brought what you were tasting in that moment into this much greater context, both like present day, but also historically.
5: Right, right.
4: Wow. Well, I feel like I I know, in fact, that we could do an entire episode on Zingerman's and how you guys approach food. And we'll definitely talk about it more um, and get into some specifics on the second half of the show. But getting back to that king of cheeses, the Parmigiano Reggiano from Parma, Italy. Um, I'm hoping that you can help us to walk through the production and we'll, t- I, I'm excited to talk a little bit about how the economy of Parmigiano works in Italy. Um, listeners, you know, Parmigiano, I feel like is something you could easily kind of take for granted as a cheese that's always around and always available. And um, I know personally it, it, was a few years into the cheese business until I really understood like the full scope of the business surrounding this one singular cheese. So, Grace, can you help us to first walk through the production of Parmigiano and some of the key attributes that are unusual about how it's made?
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, it's a pretty amazing cheese, considering mm-hmm. you know I think many of us grew up with the little green. Box that had the grated whatever in it that we <laughs> called Parmesan to yeah. the real Parmigiano Reggiano. It's it's an absolutely exceptional process. So it's all raw milk. Mm-hmm. All of the producers are raw milk now. Right now, there's around 300 different people that are producing Parmigiano Reggiano,
5: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and it's kind of at the If you look at the shape of Italy,
5: mm-hmm.
2: it covers a bunch of different regions. So there's Parma and Modena and Manoa mm-hmm. and Reggio Emilia. Uh, It's kind of like the heartbeat right in the center of the top of the boot, right? Right, that whole...
4: Area around Is that the Emilia-Romagna region overall? Yeah. It it doesn't
2: cover the whole bit of it. Uh, Emilia-Romagna goes a little bit farther east. Got it. uh, But it covers most of it. And it's really defined by the shape of the land, right? Mm. So it's south of the Po River. Right. uh, Because there's really different kinds of soil and and climate north of the Po River and south of the Po River. Uh, And then it has the mountains on the edges on the other part, the Apennines on one side. Uh, and so there's this whole region that was originally populated by monks, hmm. uh, and there were all these different monks there, and they kind of figured out how to first deal with the land because it was kind of a swamp. Hmm. Yeah. Right? It's really, it's at 53 meters uh, above sea level. It's really, really wet, and so they had to figure out how to create all these channels so that the water could flow so you could actually grow something. I see. Uh, and then they developed this recipe for cheese.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, So it's all raw milk. They take the evening milk from the night before right? and they get that to the cheesemaker and they let that sit overnight and they let all of the cream rise to the top.
4: Right. So that eventually gets skimmed. They skim off that cream?
2: Yeah, so in the morning they skim off that cream. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be, you know, butter used to be a really prized possession and that was really all they had to use for fats. They really mm-hmm. weren't bringing olive oil up from the south back in I the day. See. Right. And so the cream did a couple of things before they had this strict sanitation and understanding of that as they do now. The cream actually takes the bad microbes and bacteria out of the out of the milk. Huh. When it rises, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, I didn't and then know they that. Skim it off. Yeah. And then they skim it off and make butter. And it was always considered really exceptional butter because it wasn't ever centrifuged. Mm. It was just skimmed off and then churned, right? Got
4: it. So so really like as least processed as you could get.
2: Right. And really good, you know, when you're making milk from or cheese from raw milk. Mm -hmm. Uh, You really have to take really great care of the animals, and the milk's in really good shape, Mm -hmm. so the cream is in really good shape. Mm -hmm. The next morning, they bring over the morning milk,
5: Mm -hmm. and then
2: they add that to the evening milk. And so you get a semi-skimmed cheese. Now, one of the things that's changed over the years is how much fat people skim off because they don't have the same... Uh, market for butter anymore,
5: Ah, and it actually
2: becomes hard to process that. So some places have decided to skim less off, and Uh it makes kind of a fatter, fattier, softer cheese. Hmm. It can be a little bit milder sometimes, but it changes the flavor profile. So they've seen some of those things happen in the past 20, 30, 40 years.
4: Interesting. So in terms of – and I'm excited to talk about the um, PDO, the uh, Protected Designation of Origin for Parmigiano-Reggiano, but does it specify – any particular fat content? It sounds like no. It sounds like that's not one uh, of it the. It
2: does. Oh, okay. And they they raised the level that you could have in there in two thousand, and see. now they're seeing some secondary pieces. One of the things that uh, one of the tasters uh, from the consortium who tasted with us said is that many older cheeses are being considered preferential now because with that extra fat, Mm -hmm. the cheese actually tastes younger and it takes longer for the flavors to develop. And so Hmm. what used to taste a certain way at 24 months, now you really don't get some of those flavors out until 36 months if they have added fat. Now they don't all leave extra fat in, but some choose to, and it really does impact the flavor.
4: Hmm. That's really interesting. That It's like, you know, I think with cheese and with, with large format aged cheeses, we tend to think that the longer they can age, the better is always true. But you know, thinking about fat changing the flavor that way is really—it's an interesting dynamic.
2: It is, and like any cheese, I think you know, longer always seems to be the thing people like to talk about. But mm-hmm. some cheeses just aren't going to age well, right? right? Some are at their peak a little bit younger, and some are older. So. Totally,
4: I love—I love—I consider it like a badge of honor when I know the exact age at which I love a cheese, and it might be <laughs> if it's different from popular opinion. I always, you know, I feel very proud of that.
2: <laughs> I bet that's great.
4: Okay, so, so that, that partially skimmed evening milk is combined with the whole milk from the next morning's milking. Right. And then, and then the cheesemaking begins.
2: It does. And so, you know, they're, they're using a rennet, uh, similar to what you do for other cheeses. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the really interesting piece is they always use a natural starter. So they're saving the whey from the previous day, mm-hmm. and then they're using that to start the cheese. They're not using any commercially purchased starters, which it's kind of like having a sourdough starter for a bread, right? Like that's something that they're all watching and checking and making sure it's in good shape. And they have backup to make sure it doesn't go bad because if they Mm -hmm. don't have that starter, uh, they won't be able to make the cheese. But it also is very place-based. Every starter, we got to taste some of the starters uh, at the different farms. We got to taste them fresh the day they made cheese. And then the next day, and like the acidity level spikes, right, overnight. Uh Uh, And it's It's amazing how different each of the starters taste, which then, of course, impacts the way the cheese tastes.
4: Yeah, and, you know, we think of this as just this one cheese. Oh, Parmigiano, Reggiano. I know what that tastes like. But thinking of it in that way, that that starter would be so different from place to place, most likely in terms of just the indigenous, you know, microflora that are in there, is really exciting to think about, especially when I think... You know, agriculturally, in in our world right now, there's just monoculture is the thing that's happening. You know, and so it's really exciting to think that different batches would actually have at their core a different microbial environment completely.
2: Oh yeah, and it, it was really amazing as we talked more and more and visited. I t- I visited a total of fourteen different uh, oh Parmigiano Reggiano cheesemakers over three years. It <laughs> was a wonderful journey. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, But there's so many things that make it different, right? We all know about terroir and how the different region impacts things, but that impacts it in multiple ways, right? Whether it's in the plains or the hills or the mountains, uh, as well as what types of flora are growing,
5: Mm -hmm. right,
2: and what types of hay that they're bringing in, Mm -hmm. and then what breed of cows, because there's, you know, a limited number of types of cows you can use for Parmigiano-Reggiano, but they all use different mixes. Some go with only one certain breed. Right. Uh, Then there's the feed and then the seasonality, of the cheese, hmm. right? The summer versus winter, and then the cheesemakers' impact, and then the impact of the storage. I, it was amazing the number of differentials that you can totally. have. Totally,
4: and then bringing that all back to sort of the PDO uh, requirements and the, the consortiums, how, how it all comes together under the umbrella of Parmigiano-Reggiano, you still have uh, these sort of requirements that they all need to meet, right? Like a certain amount of yes. the feed is supposed to be grown uh, locally, is it? Within the the yes. same region within as the, the region. production? Yeah. And yep. it's what, uh, 95%? 60%. Oh, okay. Uh,
2: I think 60% has to be within a certain distance from your farm, I and see. then it's something like 90% has to be within the region.
4: Got it, got it. And then also I love the, um, the requirement on... Uh, timing from from milking
2: to cheesemaking, making. Right? Like, Isn't that fascinating? So in France, they do it by like a distance. Right. But in Italy, they do it by a time. And I was just fascinated to me because like in the plains, right. four hours away is much farther than in the mountains when you have all those little winding roads, right? right?
4: That's so true. And the time requirement is two hours. Is that right? Do I have that uh, right? I think It's four hours around. from when you start milking. Okay. Okay, so... Uh, so They had
2: two times, which is fascinating to me. It says two hours to delivery, but four hours from the start of milking.
4: Oh, so the milking is on a timer and then the eventual delivery is also on a timer. And you know what? Exactly. I have to say, having driven through Italy a decent amount. This this is starting to make me think like, oh, maybe some of that wild driving that I've seen around Italy ah. can be traced back to <laughs> the, time, oh, well. the time limits on production of Parmigiano. Could it be?
5: Maybe that is why
4: they drive so fast. It could
5: be. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> that's anyway, really that's a
4: little, a little bit of a stretch, but it did come to mind. Um, so then you've got, in terms of, of interesting details from there, you, you know, the, the curd is cut super small rice sized curd. And then it is, and
2: it's always cooked in those beautiful copper vats, right?
4: Yes. You
2: can see pictures of them, but I until you ever get the chance to stand next to them, they are as deep as they are below ground as they are above ground. Right. So they go down into this like cone shape It's a flat bottom, but they get Hmm. narrower as they go down and it's this cone shape um, and that's how they're, you know, they're, they're cooking the curd in there. And like you said, they're cutting it mm-hmm. uh, to the certain texture, which is part of the cheesemaker skill is how mm. small they're cutting that curd and, and when they're pulling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the, the curd eventually all settles to the bottom and they use these big paddles hmm. to kind of move it around and get this cheesecloth underneath it. And they bring it up and hang it on a pole across the cauldron. And then so- every vat... Unless they have a little bit of shortage of milk in a vat, generally every vat makes two cheeses. So that's why they always call the Parmesan wheels as twins, oh. because there's always two in every vat.
4: Hmm, I love that. Yeah. And then once they're formed, um, they have a brining step.
2: They Is- do. So they, they pull them out when they're still just a soft mass of curd, and they put them in uh, kind of a plastic-weighted, mold. So mm-hmm. It's kind of in the shape of the Parmesan already. It's still in the cheesecloth. They're letting all the extra weight drain out. And then once that's happened, which is generally, I think, um, like 12 to 24 hours, and it's firm enough to put it in to the actual mold, they put that little pin dot
5: mm-hmm.
2: uh, mold around the outside that gives it the little Parmigiano-Reggiano you know, namesake is that's on the outside So, of so iconic.
4: I mean, how many listeners, if you have a pin dot Parmigiano-Reggiano tattoo, please... Please send us a message, or better yet, a photo, because <laughs> I'm sure some people out there that. have it.
2: <laughs> I've contemplated it would be a great that tattoo. It would be such a good tattoo. <laughs> so they give it into that that form and let the. you know, let it take shape in that way, and then they brine it. And there's a couple Mm -hmm. different ways they brine. Um, The old school is putting it in what they call a swimming pool. Mm -hmm. And so the wheels are kind of just floating along one layer deep in Mm -hmm. these pools, and they kind of turn them every day so that all the sides, because they kind of float a little bit, sticks out. They have to turn them every day. Usually they're in there. 20 to 25 days is the range that I've heard. Oh, okay. Uh, everyone kind of makes their own decision on that. Now, the newer facilities or the upgraded facilities have this big, amazing crane that has all these racks. Kind of like a big metro shelf rack and they oh, have wow. wheels and cheese on every rack and they fully the pools are really deep and they fully submerge all the wheels
5: oh, wow. underneath
2: the water in those and so those generally air from what i understand to the 20-day mark because mm. they're so fully submerged they right. absorb the salt a little bit quicker
5: right i
4: could i could see that
2: yeah interesting but the rind is all just the cheese right so you formed the outside of the cheese Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's dry enough to hold that shape and go into the water for those 25 days, and mm-hmm. then you take it out and you hold it in your storage rooms. And it needs to stay uh, within that area for 12 months. Right. part of also the requirements of the consortium. It's interesting how much all those decisions of the, the time-based of the milk mm-hmm. uh, and holding the cheese in that space for a year impacts the local economy in a positive way right
4: right it's it's similar to Conte in that way that it's it's really protecting not only the quality of the ingredients than the and the consistency of the cheese making but it seems like the big thing it's protecting is that local participation in every step of the process
2: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing. And I I always wonder how we could do some more of that in the U.S. because, you know, it can impact all of the supplies that you need for these dairies also then come locally. It just Mm. spurs all of this economy and spending that stays together. And I think the impact on the quality and kind of the connection with the Mm -hmm. community is also big. There's a lot of pride around these dairies and what they do. And everyone has their favorite dairy that they go to. And and so they take care of each other in that way.
4: Totally. You know, I've experienced that in different regions of the U.S. a ton. Tiny bit when they're, you know, like my family lived down in North Carolina for a few years and we lived near High Point, which is like a furniture, a bizarre sort of furniture capital, which I did. We, none of us really knew about, but everybody was like really proud of the furniture fair that happens there every year. And then I also experienced it. I mean, my family's from Wisconsin, of course, in Wisconsin, everybody loves cheese. And there's a certain amount of state pride for sure over there, but I agree that it would be so. It's so interesting to think about connecting the dots between all of the steps in production around a, com- a community of people who are all working on the same sort of thing. It's pretty idyllic from my point of view.
2: Yeah, I think so too.
4: All right. So actually, we are going to, at this point, as we've made our way through Parmigiano production, we're going to take a, a quick break, and then when we come back, listeners, I'm going to taste three different Parmigianos from Zingerman's here in the studio as Grace and I chat about the different producers and the consortio and how this all comes together once the cheese is made. Um, I can't wait.
6: Well, quick break. We'll be be back. (laughs) Have you heard? It's party time. Monday, December 3rd is Winter in the Garden. Heritage Radio Network's second annual year-end gala at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe. Join HRN staff, hosts, members, and some very talented chefs and bartenders for a delicious evening that will kick off the holiday season and support our end-of-year fundraising drive. The evening will begin with a VIP hour, complete with bubbles and oysters. Then, all of our guests will work their way around two spacious rooms filled with food stations and bars, sampling fare from some of our favorite chefs. Sip on your choice of cocktails, beer, wine, sake, and cider, while bidding on exclusive silent auction items. 2019 is our 10th anniversary, so whether you've been a member since Roberta's first opened, or if you just discovered your new favorite food podcast— Please consider supporting us with a ticket purchase so we can start the year on solid ground. We'd love to see you at the Garden. So join us on December 3rd. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash gala.
3: Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise in affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders... Roth Grand Cru Sershoi was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit RothCheese.com.
4: Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Elena Santigade, and today's show is all about the cheese of all cheeses, the queen of umami, the ingredient we can't live without. I just love, like, making these big claims about parmigiano reggiano so in the first well earned right i mean i could just keep going and going we could do a whole show grace where you and i just spout off new titles for the cheese (laughs) (laughs) um so in the first half of the show we talked about how parmigiano is is produced which i think was is was really interesting just to hear those details especially because it's not like you get to see that process that often i mean Grace, we're all living vicariously through you and the fact that you've visited so many of these producers. Um, And now I'm hoping you can take us on even more granular, or should I say protein crystallized level uh, as I taste through the three incredible looking samples of Parmigiano that you so kindly sent to me last week. Um, And let's talk about what you guys are doing at Zingerman's, why we're why we're here today, ultimately, because I'm just so excited that you're focusing on this cheese and different producers, which is, uh, you know, you've gone in a different direction. So tell us a little bit about what's going on with the Zingerman's uh, approach to Parmigiano, and then maybe we can walk you can walk me through this tasting.
2: Great. Um, well, we've had one single producer of Parmesan for a long time at Zingerman's, and then. Probably four years ago, there was some problems, and that producer stopped exporting. Mm. And we had worked with them for about 20 years. Yeah. And so then we said, well, we need to find a replacement, right? right. And it still felt like most people thought, oh, it's just Parmigiano-Reggiano. Just take this one or just take this one. But they right. all have... The number of the farms stamped on the side for a reason. They hmm. are all different. Hmm. Uh, so we thought, how do we go about this? We reached out to the Parmigiano Reggiano Consorzio, and I guess I would describe that group. It's kind of a group made up of all of the people in the Parmigiano Reggiano industry. So it hmm. has a board. They elect a president, okay. but really the people that sit on that are the farmers and the cheesemakers. Interesting.
4: You know, I've uh, I always wonder who you know sort of per, who is the are the protectors of these PDOs. So that's really, really interesting to hear that it's, it's the producers, it's the farmers, it's the people involved who are on that body of, of uh, protectors.
2: Yep. And so they set up all of these different systems. I mean, the consortium goes in and they have people who do that hammer test. Right. And I think you may have seen this before where they have this little metal hammer and they mm-hmm. go and they whack each wheel. Right. Don't uh, they have a great nah.
4: name for that? Like they're called, what are they called? Uh, battitore?
2: Is that it? I think that's right
4: I, yeah it's like such a cool title i just that's another tattoo to get someday
2: it is well and i want to go training so when they actually train these guys once a year they have a training for them and they hammer all these wheels and they hammer 30 different wheels and they kind of pick them from all different ranges of quality so that they can test them and then they open them all up to show them because wow. it's not just the sound that it makes but it's also the vibration Oh. That it makes, and that's how they tell whether the cheese inside is good or not, and they also look at the shape of it and things. Um, but the fact that they actually touch every wheel before they put that mark on it that says it's of the quality to be called Parmigiano-Reggiano is pretty amazing.
4: Incredible. I mean, we're talking about millions of wheels of cheese.
2: Yes, yes. Um. And so they make their way around, and there's 30 different people that do it. That go to all these different farms, so they're always Mm busy.
4: That's their full time (laughs) Um, thing. That's what they're doing all the
2: time. That's their full time thing, yep. Wow. So when we reached out to the Consorzio and said, hey, we need help finding cheesemakers. Can you help us? It was actually fascinating because in the past they have really looked at the export market and said, you know, we just really want to make sure people know what Parmigiano-Reggiano is. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have a lot of interest in kind of branding the individual farms, right? They were just trying to protect that name because there's been the copycat producers from other places.
4: Right. And that explains like our perception here in the U.S. and what I assume is in other parts of the world where you just kind of know it as this one type of cheese and you don't really dial in so much.
2: Yeah. And so when we kind of sat and talked to them some more, there'd been some change over the board and it felt like some of the smaller farmers were on the board versus some of the larger farmers. Mm. Uh, and they said, yeah, let's actually look into this. So our first trip was actually two years ago this week. Ari and I went to uh, Italy together. Mm-hmm. and met with the consortium and started this whole project to find, you know, new cheesemakers. Wow. And the folks there that were doing this for us said that they had never done a tasting to develop a range of profiles before that day. Wow. That's and so then, wild. Yeah. And then the, the other gentleman that was just fascinating, like they, if we started off with like 13 cheeses in a room and we tasted through them all together to kind of learn how they tasted sensory, which is fascinating. I should send you the sheets some days. I learned a lot tasting with them. Oh, I bet. Uh but Simone, the one gentleman, talked about it as we really need to identify the producers and he compared it to Champagne. Hmm. Well, we all know Champagne is this region, right. but then we also know Vuitton Co. and Tattinger and all of the different producers, right? Right. And that's really what we're trying to get to with Parmesan Reggiana because hmm. they are all so different. Really uh, So we went through and did a lot of tasting and then we did a lot of visiting of farms and took a few more trips mm-hmm. uh, and after lots of of different wonderful tastes, because all Parmigiano-Reggiano is good, right? Yeah, I mean, I've
4: never had a bad one. (laughs) unless it's having some sort of mishandling along the way, there's nothing, you're not going to be disappointed with that cheese.
2: You're never going to be disappointed, but you can go from this really good cheese to this exceptional cheese with really lots of variances in flavor, which you'll get to taste in a second.
4: Okay, good. I'm staring at the cheese. (laughs) I'm waiting. Is it calling to you? I did nibble. I'm going to admit it. Listeners, Grace,
2: I've I've been nibbling on the cheese. (laughs) How can you resist it? I don't blame you. (laughs) Um, So after doing lots of different tasting, we ended up settling on really five different farms that we wanted to work with. And then we settled in on four different ones that we're currently carrying in our store on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Coming up in this next year, you'll probably see a few new ones weave their way in. We'll keep some of the ones we have now for our kind of basic everyday ones. But there's some special stuff out there that we want to feature every month. Wow! Uh, Some white cow cheeses Mm -hmm. and uh, some cheese. This one gentleman in the mountains. Uh, the gentleman is doing La Vía, which is all organic. Mm-hmm. He's going to brand some wheels in honor of his father, uh-huh. uh, and they're going to be only from the summer milk because he's up in the mountains and right. he lets his cows out in the summer.
4: Oh, cool. So sort of an alpage, rare. like, they, yep. they you know, let the cows eat the wild alpine grasses sort of approach.
5: Yep. You think we of that more with...
4: Next. With Gruyere and uh, Beaufort and Abondance and those types of cheeses. So it's fun to think about that with, that with Parmigiano because it's not like your my, my mind at least doesn't go to the mountains when I think of this cheese. So I was very excited to learn that that one of these producers is up there and that really changed my perception.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's it's fascinating, too, because when they talk about the mountain cheeses, they actually have a, a second PDO where they do a second burn mark on the cheese if it's a mountain cheese, and they oh. tested it 24 months. Uh-huh. But they didn't uh, list where the mountains are based on uh, altitude or elevation because they said you can have a valley that's hmm. actually at really high elevation, so it's hmm. in relation to where it is from the valley. Wow. <laughs> I thought it was Really interesting leave it up to
4: the Italians
2: too <laughs> uh, and that that summer uh, hay, you know even if they're not going out on the grass, if they're bringing mm-hmm. the grass to the cows, which is a lot of what they have to do in the plains because of the condition of the soil
4: yeah, that swampy, uh, that swampy land
2: yeah, it would be gone right mm-hmm. if you let the cows like go stomp around on that, but you wouldn't be able to grow anything in it anymore, so that's why they bring the hay to the cows most mm-hmm. of the time
5: mm-hmm. uh,
2: but even for Valserina, which is in the plains. The cheeses that make it to 48 months, or we even had a 60 monther from them, which was Whoa. incredible.
6: Crazy. Those
2: are only the wheels that are from those summer months, huh. where they're getting that that different feed.
4: Right. So they can kind of their their arc, like the the flavor arc on those summer cheeses, is yep. different. Can can yep. has the longevity? Very interesting. Yep.
2: And I and I must It isn't summer. I apologize. It's oh. the winter cheese. Ah, okay. The summer. Uh, is, is not the time in the valley right? It's the winter time in the valley is the summer time in the mountain got it got
4: <laughs> it that makes sense yeah the yeah. summer time in the valley sounds hot and humid yeah. <laughs>
2: And the cows drink a lot of water, which is why they don't use that milk for the long age cheeses. Right. They drink 200 liters of water a day, they said. Oh my gosh, that's. And I was like, oh, yeah, I bet the milk is a little different.
4: Yeah, Yeah. the milk must just be more watery. Like there's just less, Mm -hmm. it's more, it's like the difference between a Holstein and a Jersey cow or something like that, where the milk just, there's a lot more liquid in there. Okay, so I heard you mention Valserena. Can I taste that one first? Is that the one that I should try
2: first? Okay. I think that one's fine to try first. You're all really good. That one's going to be the oldest one that, of the samples that we sent you. Okay. I believe it's 36 months. Mm.
4: So, now, this is brown cow, is that right?
2: Yeah, the Vaca Bruno. So, mm-hmm. it's all brown cow, 100%. Uh, and this family has been five generations on this farm, mm-hmm. and it's all their own herd. So, this one is not a cooperative. Oh, no, it's a Farmstead Farmstead Farm. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Oh my gosh! It's all in the family. The sister is the veterinarian and takes. Oh, the cows look so happy. It's it's just amazing. Mm-hmm.
4: I love this cheese. I know this cheese. So this one is the only one of these that I've had before. Okay. I think I've had it at least. You um, probably have
2: this one's distributed by uh, by by Rogers. Rogers,
4: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know this cheese. This is like, in the shops that I that I have worked in, it's like once we could build a Parm. Uh, uh, parm business enough to bring in the special Valserina wheels, uh, you know, at the end of the year, or a few times a year, that was like a marker of success in my book. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's great. Oh, it's so good. I mean, the interesting thing is I'm tasting it is I think a lot of times people think of parm as almost like a way to salt a dish, like this finishing salt in a way, you know, if, if you're mm-hmm. only used to cooking with Parmigiano, you forget that, it's not actually salt and it's not a it's not a seasoning for the end of I mean it can be seasoning but in and of itself it's it's de- I would not ever describe this as salty it's fruity it's it's got like so much going on but it's not knock you over the head intense
2: Right, yeah. It's not so big and bold that you don't want to do anything else or overpowering. Right. Uh, and it's great on the cheese board as mm-hmm. well as in cooking or on top of salads. You can do so many things with it. I love it with just a little drizzle of honey over it. Mm-hmm, totally.
4: And this one, am I right that this has actually less salt? That they use a little less salt with the Valserena and they make a they larger do. wheel? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. They do make a really large wheel. Uh, most of the wheels are around 39 kilos and theirs run more like 41 kilos. Mm-hmm. It allows them to age a lot longer. So I mentioned they go out to 48, 60 months sometimes. Right, right. Uh, they have, uh, all of their grains and the things that they feed are GMO free. They're in the plains. So mm-hmm. it does get pretty hot there.
4: Right. Wow. It's so good. Okay. What should I try next?
2: Let's go, I think, Borgo Taro next. Okay. a lovely one to taste. Okay. So Borgo Taro is another one. Uh, this one is in the mountains, and this one is a co-op. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one's a little bit bigger. So this one has 13 vats. Okay. Uh, where Valterino only has seven vats that they cook out of. Now, that means their maximum cheeses, if you have 13 vats, could be 26 a day. Mm-hmm. But. During some seasons of the year when they're getting high milk production, mm-hmm. they can use a portion of those vats twice mm. so they can get more than 26 cheeses. That happens usually, you know, just a couple months out of the year.
4: Okay. Wow. It's so fun to taste this one right after the Valserena because whereas the Valserena to me was had a big brightness to it, a lot of that like tropical fruit, stuff going on this one Mm -hmm. feels like much much more a lower register it's it's savory it's more of it's got that that fifth taste you know that like brothiness to it it's a totally it feels like i mean it's wild because parmigiano you i this what i love about tasting like a vertical with cheese is that these three are going to end up tasting so different to me when in you know if you just had them one by one you'd think oh yeah that's parm that's parm but wow I'm yeah, freaking out. The
2: flavor differences, I know. It's really <laughs> noticeable, isn't it? How different they taste, and you can use different ones for different things, or you just have people who have different preferences with what they like. Right. Yum. Yeah. So this is great. It's a group of farmers. Uh, the president of the consortium actually has one of the farms. Oh, cool! Uh, and they're up in the mountains, and so it's you know it's tricky up there. It's a lot harder to get around, and they right. get snow really early.
5: Yeah,
4: it just must be um, colder overall, like cooler oh, yeah. temperatures year round.
2: Yep, and imagine like trying to get the milk to the to the cheesemaker twice a day when it's like feet <laughs> and feet of uh, snow on the ground.
4: <laughs> I don't know. Mountain communities. I, I have like the, the utmost respect for them. You know, they just—it's an amazing—it's an amazing sort of dedication to a way of life that's pretty much as polar opposite as you could get from where I'm sitting in the back of Roberta's in Brooklyn.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. Um this has 20 different farmers that contribute to the dairy and so mm-hmm. they're all part owners of the cheesemaker right and they get they mm. sell their milk to the dairy but then they get paid back when the cheese gets sold that's an, also an interesting model
4: mm interesting and is this is this the one where they they don't really adjust the temperature during aging is that true yeah
2: Yeah, they have one of those big warehouses with all these windows in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they just shut and open the windows depending on the time of the year. And that does, you know, the storage of that makes a huge difference in the cheese. If you put it in a uh, temperature temperature controlled environment where that temperature swing isn't happening, you're going to get less uh, darkening of the rind is Mm -hmm. one way to tell if you see light rinded cheeses. Mm. But you also get less weight loss. Right. So then you have more cheese to sell when you're done, which is a good thing. But it changes how it develops. Right. Uh, and they a lot of the old timers, right, mm-hmm. uh, say that if you don't have a cheese that goes through two summers where you get two kind of sweaty periods.
5: On oh, the yeah. Cheese, and I, read
4: in a cool winter. I read that. I that, read that, that you need two sweats, two summer sweats.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that's a good cheese.
5: And <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, I feel like, yeah, that sounds about right. I I like two summer sweats.
2: <laughs> yep.
4: Wow. That's, and then I go to the beach. Yeah, exactly. Once you have two summer sweats, it's time to head to the lake or the beach. There you go. Um, um,
2: wow. Yeah, and, and this, the cheesemaker at this dairy is meticulous. He's really fascinating. He's been there, uh, I think, 22 years, mm-hmm. maybe 23 now. Uh, and he does things like you can test the milk, but you can kind of just mix it all together and, and test the milk as a group from a farm. He calls it stabling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he takes the test and gets the test by each dairy cow because he said if there's one cow that has the bad test and that bad, it's going to affect all this. So I want to know wow. every single cow.
4: Wow, and it's 20, 20 different farms?
2: 20 different farms. Oh some my only gosh. contribute one jug of milk per day, two times a day, mm-hmm. and some bring them 20 jugs because he does it all. There's there's no pumping in most of these. Uh, but What's all actually with those jugs? Yeah, all with those big, heavy jugs on the back of a a pickup truck, you know. Oh,
4: my goodness. I want to, like, go there and bring everybody, you know, like, a massage. (laughs) Just thinking about the the physical labor. That's just incredible. I know.
2: It's so much work, which brings us to the last cheese you Mm -hmm. have to taste, which is the Rocadella. Yes. I'm so excited about this. Oh, it's super exciting. So, the... There's a woman cheesemaker, which is the only woman cheesemaker in the in the whole Parmigiano Reggiano group.
4: When I read that, I like did a hoot. I hooted really loudly in my apartment alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, and I just thought that was fabulous. And she was sort of. Am, am I right that she was her husband had been the cheesemaker, and she was a widower. And then they they had to kind of convince her to do it. But then she's sort of a fierce, uh, fiercely independent in her ways.
2: That's a great way to describe her. Yeah, Marissa is pretty amazing. She's about five foot tall. Mm-hmm. She's little and petite. I but love that. Very strong. You can just see how, like you know, she moves those wheels around all every day. She's seventy years old. Wow. Wow. And she looks like she's maybe fifty, if that. Amazing. Uh, and she, yeah, they when her husband passed away, like there wasn't anybody else to step in, so they kind of convinced her to help the dairy. And then she kind of took over and they made her the cheese maker. And she makes an amazing cheese. They're in the plains and they're out of the way. They're not on the main highway. You really kind of have to drive down these small little back roads to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they always have a line off the door and they always sell out. So we were really, really surprised that we were actually able to bring this cheese here because they didn't have any worries about selling. Like they're able to right. sell all their cheese. Yeah, had uh, they? But after... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead.
4: Well, I was wondering if they had been exporting it all to the U.S. before you started talking to them.
2: No, they hadn't. Mm. Uh, the only one, the Valserina had, but the Borgotara or Roncudella hadn't been into the U.S. before, so that's why we were really excited to bring them over.
5: Yeah.
2: Uh, and we, I was worried we'd have to convince her to sell to us, but after we met and talked, she was really excited about working with us, mm. and it's been a great partnership. Her uh, One of the gentlemen that works with her is um, one of the dairy owners, Mm-hmm. Uh, came over this past summer and did a tasting with me. And he also makes a Lambrusco. So we got some uh-huh. of those bottles and to do with the tasting. It was very fun.
4: Amazing pairing. That's mm-hmm. the next thing is we got to get more Lambrusco over to the States because I don't think, I, I, I don't come across it as much as I want to. When when I'm in Italy and I have it, I'm like, oh, this is so good. But that'll be for another show and another career.
2: Will be. <laughs> <laughs> Man, there's some great ones out there. I think we just associate it with like lower end things. Yeah.
4: Like well, I'm tasting this it's the wrong am I selling? am I saying it right? Roncadella?
2: Yep, Roncadella. Wrong,
4: Roncadella. This is I'm like really struck by the texture of this cheese. Yeah. That's what I noticed first of just I mean the crystallization is is wild. It feels like the most elegant crystallization to me of mm-hmm. and then and then you know Parm you don't think of it as a cheese that's going to get kind of like melty or soft in your mouth. But this one is like as close to melty as I would say, as I'm tasting it, it's not just completely breaking down. It's like the richness and the, the butterfat is really coming through on this one for me.
2: Yeah. And it's, I found it really aromatic. Yes. The aroma is, powerful.
4: Yeah, like this would be really fun to grate it over some sort of warm dish of of whatever. You know, sort of a, I could see this being like my new risotto parm. I just oh, would want it to be great. like the star of the show. Yep. And is it true that she only releases the wheels? Did I did I get this fact right, that they're all the same age?
2: Yeah. Yeah, hmm. she thinks 24 months is the best age to eat her cheese, and that's when she sells it. I love that. That yeah. conviction. She also... She doesn't have a very big place for storage either. She only keeps some of the wheels at her storage, and then a lot of her cheese gets shipped off to this other storage place. There's lots of, you know, they refer to them as the Parmesan Bank sometimes where they hold all the wheels. Mm -hmm. Um, But all the wheels we get are the ones that she holds at her shop.
4: I see. Okay. So
2: she can keep an eye on them.
4: Great. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. So which do you have a favorite of the three, or do you have something that you like to do with each of these? Parmigiano.
2: I don't know that I have a favorite. I do like to do different things with different ones. I think the Valserena I often just put out on a cheese board because you know it's got that age on it and mm-hmm. it's it just kind of stands alone. Uh, the Borgo Taro is great. Just kind of uh, put on savory dishes. Like I'll I've been yeah. doing a lot of roast squash now because the farmers market has all these beautiful carnival squash and I've been roasting those. They're kind of like a butternut mm-hmm. and then putting that on top of that with it. Oh. Right.
4: Oh, I bet amazing. that's amazing! And that was the one that felt that lower, like to me, I tasted that lower register. That was it. Did seem more savory, so I could totally. I'm mm-hmm. with you on wanting that with roasted vegetables.
2: Yeah, and then we played around. We had our creamery here made a Parmigiano Reggiano gelato with the rocadella. Uh-huh. While we had our visitor, that was pretty. Oh escut- my cool. goodness! <laughs> <laughs> and Valserina makes one that they sell from their shop. Is where I got the idea, and oh, it's. You kind of think cheese with gelato; it's great, oh, yes. and then maybe a little Italian cherries on
4: top. So oh my goodness! I got to figure out how to make this happen here in Brooklyn. <laughs> Coming to <laughs> well, an apartment.
2: You know, there you go. You can always just order some sampler packs from us. And, I think that's what I'll uh, need to through do. Through mail order, and we'll send you a few of each. <laughs> yeah. So, are you doing?
4: I know that you guys have, you know, cheese clubs, and um, you know, it. It just there's a lot of ways to plug in. For people who are not located in Ann Arbor, are you doing special stuff around now having this really incredible selection?
2: Uh, We are. So, you know, we always have the cheeses in our shop, but mail order has a Parmesan gift box that you can order for someone, Mm kind of similar to their bacon club, right? You can get a different Parmesan scent every month to you. Oh, so fun. Uh, Or you can just order a sampler pack where you're getting half pound pieces of multiple different cheeses and then putting that out.
4: Got it. Wow. Well, just in time for the holidays, I'm glad we I'm glad we got that out there because listeners, I don't know, if anybody wants to send me any of those above, you know, the sampler pack, parm of the month, I wouldn't complain. And I'm sure that your loved ones wouldn't either. Especially, I feel like this could be a real eye-opener to people who are, you know, foodies and really into stuff, but would never think of Parmigiano on this level in terms of detail and origin and these stories are just incredible too.
2: Yeah. I think it's a lot of fun to have people taste these when they come into the store and we have them out. It's so great to see people's reactions when they taste the different ones and they realize the differences. And we have a group of regulars that all now have their favorite cheeses.
4: Mm -hmm. Totally. Like I I also can't wait to the other one that you have right now is the La Villa, La Villa, I guess is the, Mm -hmm. is that the correct
2: pronunciation? I think in Italy it's La Villa. La Villa. Oh, okay. See, I got, I got my
4: Italian and my French confused there. (laughs) And that's the one that's all organic, right?
2: Yeah, that's super small too. He only has five bats, but he only cooks in three of them. So he's only making six wheels a day. Oh
5: my goodness. That is also
2: farmstead. It's all his own herd. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, And the county he's in is actually an organic county. So everything in that county has to be organic, which I I need to go read more about that. It's really interesting. Uh, But he's the actually only farmer there right now that's actually producing.
5: Hmm. Uh,
2: And he also has his own mill, so he's growing all his own grains and milling all the cereals for the animals fresh when he feeds them.
4: Oh, my goodness. That's really, that's incredible to, to dial it back to every step in the chain there. Wow.
2: Yeah, he's very committed to a different way. He's a little eccentric and he, uh, <laughs> you know, is kind of on the fringe of the consortium. It's interesting hearing him talk, but he mm-hmm. also does biogas from all the manure. Oh, uh, interesting. So he's 100% self sustained. Hmm. Yeah, really, wow. really cool operation. And that's idyllic. Like when we got there, it was a sunny day and the young cows were out frolicking in the field, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like,
4: how I've arrived. This is it. Yep. <laughs> I want to say. Oh, wow. Well, I can't wait to try that along the way. And I'm excited for these others that might pop up in 2019. And Grace, thank you so much for just opening my eyes and and our eyes to the world of Parmigiano. I feel like I learned a ton on the show today.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure.
4: Yeah, great. Well, listeners, order the Parm. What are you waiting for? And one more mention, that we mean it when we say that we want to see you at our Winter in the Garden Gala on Monday, December 3rd. Listeners, you can get 10% off tickets. I wanted to let you all know, and Grace, if you're going to be in New York, this goes out to you too, <laughs> but you can get 10% off tickets to our uh, Winter Gala using the code Curd, no spaces, and you can get that at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. Grace, thanks again for joining me. And listen, Thank you so much. Yeah, and listeners, thank you for tuning in today. And a heads up for you retailers out there. Next week I'll be geeking out hard with Retail Powerhouse Bree Heard of the Cheese Shop of Salem. We'll be talking pre-orders one on one 101 and how to organize all the things. All right, happy Thanksgiving everyone.